Hello, friends, and welcome to So Poetry, the uh, more and more occasional poetry conversation podcast. I am your host, Michael Zuloff, and I am absolutely thrilled to be talking with y'all today. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, sorry about that. It's summer. Things to happen. I've been busy with book stuff. Um, but I do sort of related to that. I have some announcements that will ha be happening uh, after the episode proper. Uh, so stick around for that for some little tidbits. But all that aside, I'm with you now. And I'm also with someone that I've been absolutely dying to talk to for a really, really long time. Um, Rachel Gaywell. Um, you mind introducing yourself and talking a little bit about who you are and what you're up to, what you're about? Yeah, thank you for having me. This is so fun. Um, I write songs. Uh, I also write poems, but I have never published any. Ooh, we should maybe talk later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just something that I did. I didn't really think about it that way. But uh, a lot of my poems have become song lyrics because I'm a musician. It's what I do uh, for my career. I play cello and I've started playing guitar and other things. And I work a little bit on the Broadway scene. And then I'm a singer songwriter and I have this band called Baba Sonia with my good friend, Mike Costaney, who lives in New Jersey and I live in New York City. And we, for the past, I think since seven years now, we've gotten together and recorded EPs almost every year. And the pandemic might've put a little blip in that, but uh, unlike many of the artists out there, I was less productive in the pandemic. <laughs> same, big same. It, yeah, I, 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 like there were people that I knew that like wrote books and did things, and I'm like, uh, my attention span for shit is shit right now. So I'm just gonna like, I'm gonna lean real heavily into Adventure Time and some comics and just like try not to think about how, how terrible everything is. Yeah, I, I think it has to come naturally. So there were some things that came to me naturally during the two years of <laughs> more or less lockdown. And they're turning into things now. Mike and I are in the middle of recording what will be our next release. And I never know how long it will be. Is it going to be four songs? Is it going to be... We've never done longer than five, but I've always wanted to. So... I think we're just a little impatient to do more than five. Yeah. I mean, has, is that like a, is that just what y'all can like the, the music that y'all can generate per like in between the times as I'll get together to record, or is it a more of a, like you have ideas that you're working through and the ideas are only generative of like a handful of songs or is it a mixture of, of things? Yeah, I think it's a longer process if you go LP or full length album mm -hmm. and it requires more patience. And <laughs> sometimes when you have a song in the can, as they say, it's tempting to overcook it and I'm fearful of overcooking it. So there's a vulnerability in that. And uh, maybe sometime we will trust the process enough to hang on to songs, but also there isn't a lot of incentive to hang on to songs for longer because albums aren't really happening. No. We live in an economy of singles. Yep. So you may as well just crank them out, but 
it might be nice to do a full length and bother to get it pressed to vinyl or something cute like that, that people could take advantage of. And the real music fans that want to put on an album that was curated to be an album. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> at least from my experience, it seems like, like if someone is going to, at least bands, like if bands are going to go through the effort or singer songwriters, whatever musicians, I guess is, is a better sort of blanket term. If they're going to go through the effort to like put together an album, it feels like there is a, a whole lot of intentionality and a whole lot of like, you know, like these, I, at least I've started thinking of it more and more this way that like almost like a um, like a poetry manuscript or like a chapbook or whatever. It's like these things are in order in a very particular way. It's like there's a there's a certain experience that is being cultivated and having these out these tracks like lead in from one to the other to the other. You know, it's like there's a whole arc, you know, whatever. However, how deeply or not deeply they engineer it, at least for me, it's like I go into them thinking it's like, OK, there is some there's a greater sense of intentionality behind this packaging of this music versus you know like a, a single or i mean even eps to an extent are like a lot of times it feels like oh these are just some songs that we had you know like things that we're working on right now that we kind of just want to get out there and like that you know that's cool that's great but you know it's like there is there is a um i don't know now there's albums that are good as an album and you wouldn't really get the experience of it in a playlist yeah Joni Mitchell blue it's a vibe yeah. it's a journey yeah. it's a destination <laughs> I, I think that again sort of like we were talking about before we we started recording like that podcasts are sort of like a great equalizer and there's a lot of equanimity in it that you know it's like you need a computer a recording program and a microphone and basically it's like you can hit the ground running with that and it feels like with sites like Bandcamp or SoundCloud that, you know, that you can get your music out. Like, you're, you know, you're not, you're not going through the whole record process of, of having a single and having a couple of, you know, like the B side of the single to support that We've stuff. proven to be bad at picking the single. <laughs> but, but even just like that, that idea of like, you know, you need to have, you know, because of the whole the whole way that things used to work is that the single would be played on the radio, which would generate buzz, which would then generate interest in the album. And then, you know, it's like, but I mean, I've definitely listened to albums from like back in the, the 90s or 2000s or whatever that have like the two or three really, really good songs. And then the rest of them are just like, you know, it's it feels just like filler. It sounds like you're just trying to round out having, you know, enough for 60 minutes of music and then. And it's like, I, I really, know. really, really love Tori Amos. And there are a lot of songs <laughs> that I don't even bother with. Yeah. And that's okay. Uh, we don't have to like all the songs, but it's so funny. The ones that I do love, I love maximum amount. I, I just, they're, they're like they've shaped me as a person and a musician and then there's albums worth of songs that i'm just like mm. yeah oh yeah <laughs> there's, there's definitely i feel like back when i was listening so i i grew up um i mean this this whole genre of music is sort of inaccessible now for me but i drew, i grew up evangelical christian so i was like real big into like the christian rock like christian alternative scene um but yeah there's there are like you know 
the one or two there were a couple albums that i had that for sure there was like you know like jars of clay i think is a pretty good one there was like reliably like three or four uh, really good songs on an album and yeah jars of clay was a big one did was it was it more in the past like when uh would you know any new christian rock bands no i have i've been, <laughs> i've been not paying attention to that music since like 2008 2009 um, okay but i was like i loved uh, like i love jars of clay i loved small town poets uh pfr was up there uh reliant k um the fucking the only christian ska band five iron frenzy which met the <laughs> the fact that they were christian and ska i was like oh yeah okay this is like the the i was a ska kid for like three or four years so this is these are like the intersections of the two big parts of my personality right now um but yeah i i've actually gone back and re-listened to so i um uh, As Cities Burn was a, a band that I listened to a lot when I was a Christian, and I've since gone back and, like, have been able to sort of appreciate them out of the context of them being Christian. Same thing with the first, mm. like, two Dead Poetic albums. I'm like, you know, these are yeah. these are legitimately good bands that are writing things that they truly believe in. And I've, I've even, like, I've been getting really into, like, late or, like, mid-90s, early 2000s emo and one of the huge, huge bands that like influenced that was one me of without them. you. No, I older than that. Uh, do you know the band Mineral? No. Okay, so they were like them and Sunny Day Real Estate and Captain Jazz were sort of like the. I know that there are other big bands, but in the like I don't know, I guess like second wave maybe they were like the big, big bands that influenced fucking everybody. And Mineral, I, I don't know if the entire band was, but at least the lead singer at the time was, like, a Christian. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, Christian stuff in the music. And, yeah. And, you know, in the songs. And, like, it feels, it feels different for me because, like, I definitely encountered, when I was a Christian, I encountered a lot of bands. I mean, similarly, you know, it's, like, bands that, like, anything that's the, uh, I guess, whatever the flavor at the time, you know, like, uh, record companies sort of mass market a ton of those bands just yeah. to try to capitalize as much. So definitely bands that were like, you know, this is not the music that y'all want to be playing. And it really, you can really hear it. But it's like from like Dead Poetic and As Cities Burn and Mineral specifically, like that, it feels like that's authentically them at that time, which is like, mm. you know, okay. Like I, I don't find this offensive despite the fact that I'm no longer Christian. Um, like I can, I can appreciate the authenticity and I can appreciate the earnestness and the honestness that you are like. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, are, you know, it's like, cause I, I, I love, I mean, with poetry too, it's like, I love art in which the artist is putting the maximum amount of self that they can into those pieces. Well, it's like in classical music we do, um, I guess I'm not really super involved in classical music right now, um, but only just because I don't have opportunities really uh but it's my training and it, it's um my backstory and w we would do a lot of historically catholic mm -hmm. music and it has like less and less to do with the, the, the catholicism and more and more to do with like what was put into it and the artistry and yeah. the sort of universality of it that's how i think that these sh things should be approached yeah i mean I, uh, I was yeah. in a, uh, I did a, a book launch a couple weekends ago uh, out in Cumberland. So like wet, way west of Maryland. Um, 
and it was held inside of a church that's been around. It was, I think, built on a fort, and it's been around since the, like, 1700s, maybe 1800s. It was part of the Underground Railroad. There's, like, tunnels underneath it and shit. But we went walking. The um, One of the people that was in attendance was, like, the she, she was the art curator for, I think, the church, and she does, like, she's a docent. She does tours and stuff. So she showed me, like, we walked into, um, I guess, like, the chapel, um, and saw the altar and these like beautiful stained glass windows and it's like there is something like i am completely devoid of like christian feeling towards a church but just walking into that space it's like there is something really unique and really special about just being in a oh, yeah. some of the best things happen in churches i mean 12-step meetings music yeah and um, it's just, they, like, they often hold concerts churches often employ musicians yeah, on a regular it, basis it was a like it was a really neat thing because like most of the churches that i went to when i was growing up were like you know either home churches or churches that were like were in like a building but it wasn't a building that was built to be a church it was like converted weirdly enough i actually take uh circus arts classes in a converted church so i'm in a church that's every, so Baltimore every, of you. Yeah, every Saturday. Um, <laughs> That's the most Baltimore. <laughs> but like walking in, walking into this Episcopalian church, it's just like it felt like. Oh, Episcopalian churches are friendly. Yeah, and it's like it just it felt like yeah. there was you know like there was like a that not maybe not necessarily that it was holy, but it was definitely like you could tell that there was people that strongly believed in what they mm. believed that took part in like worshiping in that space which is always like I've, I've been wanting to do um so when my brother and i were younger um we were in a band together and one of the ideas that we had was there was a ton of houses in our neighborhood that looked really cool from the outside and so we had an idea we never got it off the ground but we had an idea of potentially going into some of the or going to some of those houses and seeing if the owners would let us like record like write and record songs in that space just to see what being in like a different space like how that would influence what we would come up with that's cool so i've been sitting on like a grant idea of going to like churches synagogues temples like you know places out in nature that are for some reason people assign like specialness or holiness or whatever to them something has to be holy and like writing music there and composing something and see yeah seeing just like, it's okay for some places to be holy yeah. or for some things to feel yeah and just like holy yeah there's, it there's one church in uh bolton hill um that like whenever i was i lived there when i was in, in grad school and like walking by at night you know so you just the doors up front are just like it's just like floor to ceiling glass and you can look all the way back to the altar and there's usually like a spotlight on there. And it's like, it just, it always looked so fucking cool. And I was like, I would yeah. be in there at night writing something <laughs> with, with like heavy reverb and heavy delay. And with the Baltimore has some stunning imagery. You just yeah. walk down the street and something stop, would stop me in my tracks, especially at night, the way something would be lit or it, mm -hmm. it's still using old fashioned stained mm -hmm. glass. And yeah. Yeah. But I've, I've been sitting on that idea for a little bit of like trying to get some money and just going around to various places and be like, I'm just going to spend like a day here and just see what I come up with and see how that like, how the space influences whatever, you know, it's like, is, is there, you know, like almost like, I mean, I guess thinking about it now, like staging the process is like, or the project is like secular worship music, yeah. like, you know, like exploring, exploring being in a space that is used for worship 
and a place that is viewed by people that go there as like holy or special and seeing like yeah. what if I can if I can attain or like if I can tap into that as being somebody that does not adhere to yeah. the, you know the faith of the people in that space but yeah so. I didn't set out to be a couple of things and one of the things I didn't set out to be was a, like a gay Christian songwriter <laughs> but it's like kind of happening to me like I if it's happening naturally then it's okay in my opinion I didn't I also didn't set out to be a cello singer songwriter which is <laughs> sort of its own thing and I wish that cello was treated a little bit more like guitar where there's lots of different people who play guitar and we treat them differently mm -hmm. and they're not all really grouped together just by the guitar but uh I also might be one of the gay songwriters who mentions God the most mm. I have a very persistent like I is that the right word I I very often use the word God in my lyrics and actually one of my friends noticed that recently he was like are you a Christian and I was like <laughs> no <laughs> no but I do I, I do believe that it's important to have a uh, like a living breathing concept of God uh, just for the mind and for emotional spiritual well-being it's like how I live is I interact with um, higher power or a, a god and uh i like to keep it real vague <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i think this the vaguer it is the safer it is but i also don't really like it when people don't feel comfortable invoking the idea of god or the name of god ever mm -hmm. like when it's gone full like they put the kibosh on it yeah it's it's kind of sad to me there's moments that could be missing like if a couple of people are worried and then they decide hey you know what let's pray together that's so beautiful and yeah. why should we why should we throw that out it's like another terrible thing that's <laughs> happened at yeah. that point yeah i mean i like when i when i left christianity i definitely harbored a great deal of like anger and resentment um sort of about like what I viewed as my faith and sort of the like the the churches and some of the people that I was interacting with sort of like not not necessarily them specifically but sort of like the standard practices that I saw them kind of do and after having I don't know like eight nine ten years to kind of like simmer about it mm. and like kind of I feel I don't feel as strongly um like all of the anger and all the resentment's not really there. There's still some like distaste for certain practices and stuff, but I, I've definitely like, I've, I've gotten to the point where like, if someone, if someone believes a thing and like, I mean, basically how I view everything else in life, that's like, if it is bringing, like, if it, if this thing is a net positive in your life, it's like, if it's, if it's helping you become like the person that that you feel like is the best version of yourself or it's it's making you more like empathetic or aware or like conscientious about stuff it's like well, i don't care like whatever you know you know there's this idea that if you're going to survive bad things if you're really going to thrive and survive and move on and be fully happy and fully yourself then you you can't give up the things that are part of that vitality yeah. you have to yeah. find a way a way back to them yeah and i i think that like i can i can see religions now or like beliefs faith systems is like 
it's it's a it's a way to add comfort for people and it's like a good way to build community too you know it's like if you have a built-in it's like every people will be at a certain place at a certain time every fucking week and like if you need to access people or have community or like integrate yourself into a space it's like they're great ways to do that and they're also like i mean baltimore i think specifically has a really strong history and culture of like churches and church groups being like embedded in it fully integrated into the community of like you know that the church is, yeah. is the thing that's like they do things for their community there is a like a immediate uh tangible like net gain that these that these places and these people are are putting back into the community which is you know like that's great that's absolutely fantastic and you know it's like if you're doing it in the name of a you know, yeah, God. I may have a point of privilege in which I was raised. Whoa. <laughs> I may I may have the point of privilege of having been raised Unitarian Universalist, so it's almost like my parents already dealt with it mm-hmm. one generation back, and they were like, well, this is what we're going to make better. Yeah. And I think they, they did make it better. And so I don't, like, don't have that trauma. Like, I've been... Uh, abused in different ways as, for being like a gay person or well, mostly for being a gay person but there's, there's always a little bit of sexism in there too sometimes but not solely by churches it's like right, yeah. churches yeah. and doctors and teachers and so it's kind of been more like spread out and like sometimes people are awful but yeah. it hasn't been like oh the church came to get me right yeah but I wasn't in an environment that would have been that that would have been a risk. I was in like the world's most liberal <laughs> right, church yeah. environment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like depending upon like what flavor of Christianity you're coming from. It's like because like mine, like evangelical Christian can be like can very much veer towards like fundamentalism and like hyper conservatism, which is like that's not like anybody regardless of if it's a christian or not it's like anybody that's in that type of environment it's like if you're going to be you're going to come out somehow repressed and like emotionally damaged um probably more so than other people um but yeah there's like i mean i know a bunch of like growing up in new orleans i know a bunch of catholics that like there's a lot of baggage that comes with the catholic church and like being a catholic um that you know you kind of have to if that's a thing that you if if that is a if that is a faith that you want to continue to hold on to and an identity that you want to hold on to it's like you have to do a lot of unpacking of like not just personal relationship with it but also just like cultural and historical you know it's like the catholic church has been around for a long fucking time and they've done mm. a lot of different things at that time some good some not so good but yeah it's um that's actually like there was um so the first uh, "As Cities Burn" like actual album is is very overtly Christian, but the second one, it still is. But it like it hit me at the right time that I think I needed it because uh, I was beginning to have like questions. And that album, it's called "Come Now Sleep," is very much an exploration of like someone that is very very much Christian and, and believes deeply about you know, like you know in Jesus and God and wrestling with questions of like there are things that i see happening in my life and like i can't i don't know how to put these things together and it's a lot of like it's questions that don't have answers and it's like that was 
amazing yeah. to me to encounter like an album that is very much a Christian album, but it is was so radically different than most of the other Christian albums that I had at the time. A little bit more like existentialist in yeah, there. And because yeah. Because like, there's one, like the last song deals with um, like a friend of the band uh, that died, I think in a car. I don't know if he was sick or if he died in a car wreck. And it was like an immediate thing that was like, he was like, you know, the person that's like the best person in everyone's life. It's like that friend that is this beacon of like warmth and like openness and you know, yeah. it's like anything that you need that person will be there helping you out with and that's the person that got taken away and that yeah. song is like and part of the part of the song is that like i don't think or at least part of the lyrics are wrestling with the fact that at least my interpretation of it is that this person that died wasn't a christian so the singer is like i it, i can't like oh i can't imagine them in hell oh yeah what a moment for that person's yeah. faith yeah and it's to like, be like if god is good then reconcile me this right, like, yeah. and, and like <laughs> to be to be sitting with this that like sonically it hits all of those emotional notes and just like to be sitting with this that like you know like questions that i definitely had when i was a christian but i was always really afraid to voice yeah because of like the implication usually when you voice those questions like oh so do you not believe and, you know it's like it, it, there's like an antagonism that's sort of at the underlying it's like if you bring that up what yeah. some how someone's going to react to that but to have like an entire album but specifically that song to sit with and be like yeah i i, I don't i don't know and to have yeah. like to be able to sit with the fact that's like i don't know and for some people to come out of it you know, it's like that their that their faith is somehow, um, and I don't I don't mean it flippantly. It's like it's somehow reinforced or like it is still intact. But you know, for some people, it's like those questions lead them to a resurgence or like a strengthening in their faith in yeah like God. And for some people, it's like that's it's like I can't you know it's like this is the thing. It's like I I can't I can't square this and that you know it's like they have to deal i with deal that. with uh i deal with those moments through songs as well i feel like <laughs> i just kind of figured that when if somebody dies you write a song about it and i think <laughs> i <laughs> i don't think i'm always gonna do that but i definitely did that for the first couple of times in my life when someone close to me died and i think that bears out in the the discography but <laughs> It's just how we deal with things. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a poem for Mary Oliver when she died. And, yeah, you know, it's like that's just that I had I had to pour my grief somewhere. And I was yeah, like, okay. my 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 well, it was a poem. Uh, my the, our song Jeremiah wasn't even really a poem. It was I I went to therapy. This thing had just happened. This is a friend of mine from when I was in Baltimore when I was at Peabody and um and we had fallen out of touch and I had found out that um he had died of what I believe was a drug overdose and um and I was trying to deal with the situation and my therapist suggested that I um that I write something to him like that I can communicate with him and so I went back to my apartment and I just got out a notebook and I started writing and I don't know if I've ever done this at any other point with a song, but I never edited it. I wrote oh, wow. the lyrics 
front to back and it was just a journal entry mm -hmm. and there's no repetition in that song there's no chorus there's no song structure so we ended up putting like a chord structure under it that was more more musical but it sort of accommodates the fact that it's just a letter <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. and I and I, I had before that the the song Tasha, which is earlier in our our albums, was uh, also a friend from Baltimore, from when I lived in Baltimore, who had died, um, and she she took her own life, and uh, I was handling that as like a 25, 26 year old, and there's nowhere to put that, so. Yeah. And if you make something a song, songs are kind of like time capsules and they're also kind of like an opportunity to revisit something and they're it's like giving myself a place where I can yep. revisit mm -hmm. a moment and a feeling and maybe I need to revisit it and it's never going to mean the same thing to me as it means to another person, but it'll open up a different box in someone else's yep. mind and heart. And, and I love that. I love that. Like I can be as selfish as I need to be in my songs because it will never mean that to someone <laughs> right. else. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, every, everyone else listening to it will put in their own, it's like haiku, like they overlay it with their own emotional landscape and their own emotional interior. And it like, yeah. you know, yeah. The songs about my friend, for for someone else they've said that oh that for them they listened to jeremiah and it sounded like to them it was about their brother and to the you know so whoever you might have these interpersonal um moments with it's very freeing for me because i worry if i'm selfish if i'm self-indulgent if i'm narcissistic and to be realizing that you can go as hard as you need to go because you're already in a safe framework of writing. Yeah. So writing is an appropriate venue. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah, people will take it for what they need it to and be. I, I think especially if you're dealing with, I mean, this is a maybe a, a nice little segue into talking about poetry that like, if you're dealing with, I mean, at least the poem, the poets that I sort of gravitate towards that like they are providing their experiences and, like inviting you into to experience those experiences as they did but underneath it all they are tapping into you know like these really deep emotional sort of universal experiences that people have which i think is a weird like the more specific generally that you get in poetry or let's say songwriting and lyrics and stuff usually the more universal it becomes because you're really drilling down deep into those things that like those like center of the well points that everyone you know it's like everyone has experienced like let's say if it's a you know like it's a, a song about death or just like a, losing someone everyone has had that experience like that grief manifests differently for other people but everyone has those that has had that experience that they can pull from it's like oh this is like this is my lost moment. So. Yeah, almost to go back to like, to pull religion back into it as well. Like some people have Bible quotes that they repeat, mm -hmm. like a little mantra and mantra is also maybe sort of a religious term in its own right. Uh, just having something that you can think of that kind of helps 
when you need it. And I do that. And I do that with lyrics and I do that with poetry. And I don't really have all the Bible verses in my head. I have, I have precisely none of them <laughs> in my head and in my memory, right. but I will, um, when the moment makes me remember something, that's what I will pull from. Yeah. So we're like making our, a, a new repertoire of things that, you know, we think are true or that makes me feel like I'm not alone because someone else must have experienced this. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that, that to me is like, if anybody, cause I've definitely, I've encountered people before that, you know, will say, well, so, you know, what's the, what's the point of art? Like, what does art do? And I feel like, especially now in schools where they're dealing with like very metric based, uh, I don't even know, like metric based metrics based, just everything. You know, it's like all of their all of their funding, all of their like what they can offer is all based on these like weird like neoliberal like I have to quantify this somehow. Um, you know, like there's a big question. It's like, what does art do? What does music do? What does re- you know? What does re- what all these things that are unquantifiable do? And like my my go to answer, at least for art specifically, is empathy. That like you or connection it's like you can the i think the goal of art or at least one of the goals or maybe not necessarily goal but one of the major outcomes of art is that it connects people that you can have someone like you just said like someone experiences a thing and then they reach out and they read a poem or they hear a song or they see some visual art or they see a play you know whatever see a movie and they have that moment of like oh someone else experienced like someone else is going through when I, when I'm going through. And maybe additionally, it's like, I've never had the vocabulary that I needed to describe what it is that I feel. And yet someone else did it and they have that vocabulary and I can pull from that and like use that to expand my awareness or expand the sort of like the, the discovery or the understanding of like my own experience in life, which is like, I can't think of anything else I can't think of anything else that gives you that opportunity to like blow open vast wildernesses of yourself and vast expanses of yourself that thoroughly and that reliably as art can. You made me think of something that I wrote in my notes app a while back and I just found it. <laughs> it says, music is a waste of time the same way that therapy and meditation and prayer are a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, as a musician, I've struggled a lot with like, what are we really doing here? Uh, What's this for? Does it have a function? If you spend too much time with it, you can be like, you can get lost about what its function is. And you can start to like sort of distort it to a point where it's not really doing the thing that it can do best. And that's what music school will do to you. It'll make you think too hard and it'll make a lot of people compete about like, who's, who's the most skillful at music and what, what's difficult art and is difficult art, better art. Um, and I'm sure that they do the same thing in the literary world. Well, so funnily enough, like I started out undergrad as a music major. Um, I was at a school specifically in their music program. And after a year, I was like, I can't fucking, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So then I jumped ship to creative writing. Um, and I think, I think in prose, it's a little more prevalent because you can actually potentially make a living being a writer if you write fiction or not, like specific types of nonfiction. Um, I have a working theory and I'm, I've spouted it many, many times on 
the on this podcast, and I've gotten some validation for it, so I will continue to espouse it until I'm hit with some uh, renunciation of it. Um, but like, it's been at least my experience that in the poetry world, so I, I think that it's different for like spoken word or performative poetry, um, but at least for like poetry that's being written on the page to be given to people so they could read it on the page. Like, there's not a ton of competition because there's an understanding that like there's no money involved at all in any of this. Like there's no spaces that people are fighting for. There's no opportunities that like people are gunning for that. There's like one or two or a few spots because like no one makes a living as being a poet. Everyone does something else in the poetry is like poetry is who they are. That logic is not working on musicians (laughs) (laughs) and it should. I think because there's the overall, um, there's the idea that there is a lot of money in music. And many people have, you have the opportunity to quote unquote, break it big or like break big. There might be like a hundred musicians total in the country who make a lot of money. Yeah. But that's a lot of competition. And there's many, many musicians of varying degrees of ability, even very, very talented musicians who have a lot to give to the world who don't make any money. But in our, maybe it's our culture, maybe it's America's Got Talent and like, you know, the voice and things like that. But there's the general idea that like, Oh, no, no, no. There is money right, in yeah. music, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah, there's there's no uh, America's Got Talent for poetry. There's no. <laughs> oh, my God. America's poetry. Got Poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever done America's Got Talent with like a poetry reading? Oh, God, I don't know. I feel like they would be eviscerated if they did. Um, but yeah, but that's I think that they're like it's similarly sort of I think now with like millennials and Gen Z and the generations that are coming after us that like there's been a almost complete dispelling of the myth of the American dream. And I feel like in certain arts, there is still that, or like certain genres of art, there's still that myth, like music, like there is still that those people are like, you know, like I, I, I can, I can do it. I can break into this upper echelon of, of talent or opportunity or whatever. And I feel like with poets that like, as soon as you start writing poetry, you're like, Oh no, it's just, there's no it's just it dissipates and you just see like oh no there's just poets just doing their thing being teachers i work i I make cabinets you know uh, (laughs) yeah that's also like the great way to do it for musicians is just like have something that keeps you steady and then do the things that you want to be doing like mike uh in my my uh my partner in baba sonia uh he's he's a coffee roaster so like I don't know if that's always like an an ideal thing for him, but to me, it seems ideal. I'm yeah. like, you've got a thing that's holding you down and, um, and it's a, a company that cares about him and is invested in him personally. And yeah. like, there's nothing better. And then you just get to make whatever you want to make. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's the danger. I mean, I've, I've bumped up against this myself a couple of times that like when I, when I graduated from undergrad, I mean, from grad school, I desperately wanted to break into the publishing industry. Like I wanted to be an editor. I wanted to be a book designer. And I've been working as a cabinet maker for uh, close to 10 years. I think it's been eight, maybe eight or eight and a half or so. And I'm realizing it's taken me a while to realize this, but I've come to the full realization that if I was if I was an editor or a book designer, 
I probably wouldn't still be running my press right now because mm. I don't like if I had to do for work what I do for passion that pulls from like the same creative well, there's no way in hell that I want to come home after like eight hours of editing and then just yeah. edit for another I like don't four hours. sing as a as a freelance musician. I, I, I've a couple times I've sang on other people's recordings and I'm fine with that as like a thing I do occasionally, but I don't sing for work yeah. and i think that helps that's a pretty distinct barrier like a boundary for me uh i play instruments and people can hire me to play the instruments and then it ends up being like i further my technical skill set right. and yeah. then i end up bringing that to our albums i'm like i play guitar now who knew <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah I, I think that it's it's also it feels like being a musician is like a weird thing because you can get a gig playing somebody else's music like you don't have to be creative in a generative way or you shouldn't a lot of the time yeah. <laughs> i tell you a lot of the way that broadway works is you're essentially a technician right. yeah. they need somebody to get the thing done to a click track and they need it the way that they need it. Right. And if you try to be like, well, I'm going to be cute. They're like, please stop. No. Like, just get this thing. Like someone else wrote it. It's perfect. We like it. Yeah. You need to just bang it out the way that we yeah. need or it. Or like you have, like, I imagine in instances like that, or maybe if even like an orchestra or something, it's like, it's the conductor or the person that's in charge of like the music as a whole that sort of shapes it and gives it its personality so that each performances or each, you know, each, each time, each group that does it, it sounds a little different, but like, each individual musician in, like you said, in that instance is basically just a cog in a machine to get that vision out as like in the most, uh, in the most effective and efficient way possible. Um, which is also, yeah. Great. Yeah. You're not responsible for the artistry and a lot of that stuff. So yeah. it, I guess in a way it doesn't stomp on my, uh, artistic practice. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I would say that. Yeah. Like, cause that's also, I was, this is some, I mean, sort of related, but something I've, I've thought about that, like, it's really weird to me that in music you have covers, like people will do covers of other songs. It's like, you <laughs> like the only time that I've really ever experienced that, or I've encountered that before is when you have artists that are like, go to a museum or something and like, like try to make the art or do like um I, there's a there's a, a certain oh like there's like a technical aspect of it where you're trying to do technically what the other person did i was yeah. gonna say covers is pretty much all that classical music is right yeah yeah like yeah like there's it's harder to find within within classical performance practice like people playing something that they themselves wrote and it's actually weird for them to be like i wrote this but uh, it, well, I guess what I should say is that it might be weird for them to see someone else is singing the song that they wrote in the usual singer-songwriter fashion, as they're like, I'm a composer, I wrote this, it's for voice and cello and <laughs> clarinet, so since it's for voice, I would never sing it, I'm going to give it to a trained vocalist. Right, yeah, 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 yeah that's, it's, it's, it's <laughs> such a weird, like, yeah, it's just, I, it's just so wild to me that there is, like, you know, that there are bands and musicians that can make a living just playing other people's music it's like that oh yeah you know the whole like, like dad band circuit i think it's probably where i'm gonna end up in life is just <laughs> like i'm finally gonna like move to a rural area i'm gonna leave the city i'm gonna like live up a mountain somewhere and the only gigs you can get are just like forming a pretty good dad band yeah. um yeah i'll have like a lesbian dad band and i'll just go to all the local barbecue joints so and play saturday night 100 <laughs> honesty i would listen to the hell out of that 
I mean, it might be genius. <laughs> yeah, but that's like, that's so weird because like, I've never, like, I, I know that people will recite or like perform poems or like monologues or, you know, it's like, and I feel like it's different when you, I, I guess. But you have to once they're dead, I guess. Like yeah. once the poet can't do it, yeah, someone else it, has I to do it's, it. I guess it's, I never really put this together that like music largely is a performative art. And same thing with like playwriting or, you know, like, or theater that you know it's a you can do like you can make careers out of just doing work that has existed before just changing the interpretation of it but when you have poetry like the only thing that you could do is just perform the poem differently it's like you couldn't just you can't rewrite a poem and make it yours because you're not really like it's done the act of it being written is yeah. done it's like there's nothing else that you can do in that space it's our songs have not been performed a whole lot like the Baba Sonia repertoire has probably a a record breaking low amount of performances, <laughs> um, and it's it because we sort of wrote these songs and these albums more in the way that you would write maybe a published poetry book yeah. that, um, and then I've been the force behind like I want to have a band I want to get out there and play it but it has been to minimal success uh, and I, I often just end up doing it like a singer songwriter set for uh, shows that come up in in my neighborhood in, mm -hmm. in Astoria because it's very hard to get a band together yeah especially now being an adult and having to navigate like everybody else's schedule and yeah I mean but also I like sort of like we were talking about before um, like with the advent of Bandcamp and SoundCloud it's like I feel like there is a a greater avenue for musicians that just want to produce and create music to actually gain followings of and like interest in them instead of having to be a band that tours constantly and gets around everywhere you know so you can just you point people to a, a band uh band camp page and have like 30 fucking songs on there and like yeah i never and mike i'm sure would agree with me on this i i never wanted to beg in my in my like personal practice. I never wanted to be one of those people that's like constantly submitting things for Spotify playlists. Mm -hmm. And there's just like a, a, it feels like begging to me and, and, you know, it's screaming into the void. And um, so, you know, we make money other ways. And right. I, yeah. and, and, and that's, I think that's very important for, for burnout and for oh, yeah. creativity. And we don't, really ask ourselves what people want i think what we, what we're doing is very is very self-centered but then as i said earlier i think you can be self-centered because it, it's never it never really comes across right. that way because yeah. if it's actually maybe the best idea to speak from personal experience oh, yeah, I, I so we have a lot of personal ideas personal choices personal stories that go into this and it's not uh, because it isn't something that we, you know, and we're in our thirties, and we're we're not really trying to be like the the young band that <laughs> makes it. I think there's a there's a beauty to that because this is the thing that we do to kind of keep our spirits alive yeah. amid all the oh, yeah. all the things that you have to do. Yeah, and I I think that like. 
I mean, similarly with my press, like I'm not like my press is like it generates basically enough money to function as far as it goes of just like physically producing the books that I publish. But, you know, it's like it there is a level of freedom that that entails. It's like if that's not the thing that you do to, quote unquote, make a living, then it can literally be just whatever the hell you want it. to. It's like you can do whatever it is that you want to do because it's not like there's no there's not that weird financial constraint on it that like i have to do this and make decisions yeah with, like net money and if i don't I, you know like if i think about good. yeah artists that where their work meant something to me i don't know if they made money from their work yeah. and i kind of assume that they didn't and more <laughs> more and more more and more now that i'm like in the creative arts as my job uh, I, I never really assume that somebody made, made money from, from their poetry or like, I mean, if did... it's poetry, for sure they didn't. Well, like, okay. So like even the big name ones historically that I like, so I like E.E. E. Cummings, mm -hmm. my tattoo is E.E. E. Cummings, oh, uh, cool. at, at the risk of being basic. I have the thing perhaps is to eat flowers and not to be afraid as part of my my tattoo, which is the two last lines in his poem that starts with uh, voices to voices, lip to lip. And um, did he make money as a poet? Do we know? Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know what he did. Um, I mean, I know. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> I feel like most people, or at least like traditionally, most poets were also teachers. Like that seems to be the mm. avenue it's like that seems to be the many musicians common. are also teachers yeah. yeah i mean you do have the weird ones like um oh um william carlos williams was a doctor i think uh, oh that's cool yeah <laughs> uh, wallace stevens was i think an insurance agent i think um i think oh what the hell did i feel like uh, t.s Eliot was like a clerk or did something else i don't know but yeah, yeah but it's beautiful. I, I, yeah, I never thought about it, you know, and now, now that we're talking about this, I had a couple, like, just in case I needed inspiration, I had a couple poems pulled up and I was like, I have no idea what these people <laughs> did for a living. Because <laughs> I had, a, I have a, like a, a T.S. Eliot and an E.E. E. Cummings. Those are my like teenage, teenage favorites. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's this Polish woman, Anna Sphere. Do you know her? I don't think so. So that's like the shortened version of her last name. Let's look up. Anna Sfirzinska. So she she was a Polish poet from, she lived from 1909 to 1984 in Poland. And, oh, um, damn. So I'm reading translated poetry, but actually one of my best friends is a literary translator. So I respect the nice. craft of literary translation and <laughs> uh and what goes into that so i don't really just tell myself like well it's not it's translated <laughs> yeah that's um okay so i guess this this is a good good segue to actually get into talking po poetry specific but i like as a question that I tend to ask most of my guests, just because I'm curious about this, because every every time that I've asked somebody, it's been a different answer. But like, like, how did poetry start for you? Like, how why was how did that how did it begin? And like, why is it a thing that you feel like you you are called or pulled to continue doing? Lyrics. Hmm. 
Joni Mitchell in the car with my dad, um, Paul Simon lyrics, um, just grew up on some musicians who had very poetic lyrics. And I, I feel like I, I can't not call that poetry. <laughs> that might've been the beginning. I think poetry proper, like without being part of music, probably began in school and um, I feel like my sister and I were both into E.E. E. Cummings for a little while. She got into slam poetry and had that one giant book of poems from the New Yorkian Poets Cafe. Mm. And I think maybe in like a high school Unitarian Universalist youth group, there was sort of like a, somehow I got exposed to the like radical leftist New York <laughs> City, like Ani DeFranco, because um, that, that's an example of a, of a musician who was also a poet. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't only doing the poetry uh, as part of a song, but she was also just doing poetry readings. Um, I think she was doing it both ways, yeah. basically, yeah. where, you know, we have published Joni Mitchell lyrics and poems now, but I don't think we ever got to see Joni Mitchell, like, um, performing poems. Yeah. I mean, we've barely gotten to see her perform music, but thanks to, <laughs> thanks to Brandy Carlo and company, we have, we have her performance at uh, Newport Folk Fest yeah. the other day. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Like I, I was thinking about this earlier today that I think of, of the other poets that I've talked to and other like friend poets that I've talked to, like I may have been, I think I'm unique among sort of like how poetry started for me, but I was wondering if it, if you had a similar experience and it turns out that you did, but like for me as well, my first introduction to, I guess at like the very basic level, like lyrical writing was music lyrics. Like I didn't really start reading poetry um, despite the fact that I was like writing it when I was in high school. I didn't really start reading poetry until I was in college. Like I knew about oh. poetry and like I, yeah. had, I, you know, we had like poems in class that we had to, you know, like analyze and do that. I got heavy into it in high school. Yeah. I like, I, I, it was a, the first book of poetry that I picked up for my own just enjoyment and edification was Mary Oliver's Redbird. Um, up until then, the only poetry that I really encountered was just in school and just in classes and stuff. But like music has been with me since I was very, very young. And it was through just like reading, like I always loved reading the lyrics to whatever I was listening to. And just like, you know, sometimes even just reading the lyrics while I wasn't listening to whatever it is that they were accompanying or that they were the lyrics of. And I, those are those, that was my first experience with like being immersed in writing that was being written as a like with different concerns and different constraints and different like intentions than just most of you know like the the novels or just fiction or nonfiction or whatever the hell I was encountering um, and I like it's interesting like I had a suspicion that it may have been similar for you but it's it's interesting that that's just yeah I was just wondering like if if you must have known that because 
you invited me here and I feel <laughs> like you had no knowledge probably had no knowledge like I think I've posted a poem that I wrote maybe one time but I don't even think that post is still up because <laughs> no, like, I've been like I, I think I've maybe I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I have like a very weird relationship between like poetry and music. Um, and it's always been really interesting to me to like for people that write lyrics and like the, the sort of like, where is that delineation between poetry to lyric and like, how does that? Yeah. Like, and because for me, like poetry in music is very much, separated like all the music that i write uh for myself is all instrumental like there's no words in it at all um mo a lot of the music that i listen to is instrumental like I, it's i i view music for me as a as a like a direct transposition of emotion whereas writing for me is always some some amount of translation it's like something gets lost something has to be you know it's like it's a it's an approximation of whatever it is that i feel so in that way, like I have, there's a very clear line between the music that I play and the the writing that I do. And I was one, you know, it's like for you, just because you write lyrics, I was like, you know, I'm I was just curious of, like. Yeah, you know. I think I, I write backwards from some people because uh, I I have some friends who are also songwriters, um, and when we've talked about it say like well where do you start and how do you write and I start lyrics first and the lyrics turn into like a vocal melody and then I go into supporting the vocal melody with other things but it's strange to me to hear that other people write musically and they come up with a melody and then they come up with words yeah like I don't know how I would <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I would do that. Um, that's the most bizarre. But I think we have to we have to write in whatever way we we need to write. I'm actually even at this stage where I believe that we can write if it's in the wrong genre, like, and then uh, transpose it wildly from there to be like. Like I wrote this weird little ditty, and I, I don't think it's very good, but I, I wrote it. I, I I have it there if I need it, and then later I'll find out that it is a good song. It it's just not the weird little ditty that I thought it was. Like it needs to be like slowed down, mm -hmm. and it needs to be given all of these things. But like the words were good, and I, I got them out in a certain rhythm, and that it served its purpose, but. <laughs> like um yeah i i was hearing some goth rock coming out of a car the other day and i was like maybe this thing that i've been working on is supposed <laughs> to be goth rock <laughs> it's like maybe it's more of an evanescence wake Everything me up inside is supposed to be goth rock that's <laughs> I was like, it brings the power back into it yeah well that's like um, so when you when you write like, do you, do you know if something that you're writing is either going to turn out to be a poem or lyrics, or do you kind of go, like, do you, when you write poetry, are you always having an ear to it to be like, okay, this will be, like, I can use this for, like, a song? 
Yeah, I mean, the lyrics to Tasha and the lyrics to Jeremiah are poems. Okay. And I, I believe that they still are poems because they didn't get reworked. Um, Maybe they did. No, I think Tasha didn't either. But yeah, so there's, and then some other songs, they started as poems and then I gave them a structure. So there's a certain amount of repetition mm -hmm. that comes into it. And sometimes it's fun. I'll go back, like I write a lot on the, my notes app and it'll just be like disjointed bits and pieces that I'll look back at it and I'll turn it into something that has a structure. Yeah. I've, but, I've, I've been doing that a lot. I, when I go out on walks with the dog, I will usually be thinking about stuff and putting, writing little notes and shit in my phone and it, you know, it's like over the course of like a week, I generate a bunch of things. I'm like, oh, I could turn this into a poem maybe, or just, you know, have it be a weird amalgamation of whatever it was I was thinking about. But hmm. yeah, I was, I was just going back through my notes app. I was doing just a, a little bit of homework for talking to you. I was like <laughs> feeling like, well, I don't really do any poetry, but I actually do. I just don't really put myself out there as a poet. I've never tried to like yeah. push that, although I would like to, and there's really no reason that I haven't. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not something that I don't want to do. It's just something that I never really started right. <laughs> doing. <laughs> that makes a certain amount of sense because you have another avenue that you can get like you have an avenue that you can get your poetry out there just not necessarily as poems but you know it's like you yeah to like they are the like the ground zero and the, the foundation for the songs that you write which is also like that was something that i was curious about that like there are like a ton of bands that i listen to that their music like their lyrics rhyme usually and then there's a lot of other bands that like they don't it's basically it feels like they are like free verse ish poems um but i also know that you know like there are different constraints with music you know you have verses you have like the pre-verse or the pre-chorus you have the chorus you have the bridge you have the out you know it's like there are all these different musical things that at least like a lot of popular music follows and it seems that the like the lyrics usually follow that same format but it's always interesting to me when like you know like like you said some of your songs are just like yeah they just go and like the music has to be a certain way and maybe change and alter a bit to support that kind i've of like thing. learned how to edit over time but it, <laughs> it, it just it began as like it is what it is everybody like i would just i would write something and i'd be like i'm writing and i'm stopping writing mm -hmm. and like inspiration would hit in very short intense periods and then i would be like it's perfect there's nothing that can be done here and i've learned a little bit of how to edit without feeling like i've killed it mm -hmm. that's the over that's tough overcooking that. the yeah. overcooking thing that is why we don't have albums that are more than five <laughs> songs <laughs> but like i used to have this book of t.s Eliot drafts where oh, interesting. you could look at what he's what he erased and what he had like scratched out and then put a different word and i loved it because wow. it was just like that's what i want to see i want to see like how it came together and um i just don't understand why everybody else doesn't love that as much as i do because it's <laughs> it's like where where it all happens oh, yeah. i was like i'm sure that i have some like 
previous version of lyrics of something in in here and i do i have um one of our new songs which is called a cold room comma a warm room <laughs> uh i have like an early version of that and i can tell because most of the lyrics are there but not all of them so or it's like or I, there's other stuff that I pulled out of it. And the same is true of, of the song, our song, um, Grandfathers, where there was another verse in it and I pulled a whole verse out of it. So I just, I, I like that. I like the process. That's why I started, well, that plus the pandemic is why I started doing the, the Bandcamp backstage thing, which only has like five subscribers, but you're one of them. I'm so one of them. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I really like to see the drafts of things oh, and yeah. the, the unfinished versions of things. So like while we record things, I'll put up demos and halfway finished things because for me, that's like where it's at. Uh, and I, I, probably not everybody feels that way, but <laughs> there was a, um, there was a time that I was really into the smashing pumpkins, like really, really into the smashing pumpkins. And I, I went on a, I don't know how I found some of the shit, but there was like one, website that i found that basically compiled like every known bit of ephemera of like b-sides and demo recordings and like half finished takes and stuff and i have like i have my official smashing pumpkins playlist on my itunes it's like all of their official releases and like you know their rarities and b-sides compilations and stuff and then i have another like probably has it's like maybe 1.5 times as long as the, the official playlist of just like demos and just unreleased stuff and just, you know it's like and it's it's so similar kind of what we were talking about um before we were recording about like you know listening to podcasts that are in someone's house that you can hear the interactions and the distractions and just the like the bits of uh external yeah. life that happened um I really love listening to demos and especially for a lot of like the emo bands that I've been getting into, you know, it's like they, they have like two demos and an EP and that's it. They were around for like three years. They did two demos and an EP and they're just gone. And yeah. you know, like the demos are usually like really shitty quality. It sounds like it's just a ta- like a four track that's just stuck in the middle of a room with like yeah. a handful of microphones and stuff. But it, it like, there was a level of, I don't know if it's rawness or authenticity or just like honesty that you can that comes across in those recordings that it's like i just i eat that shit up oh yeah yeah there's like demos that like mike has made and sent to me over the years that are in my long-term memory and uh, they'll never be out of there and i will (laughs) i'll like and even in bands i used to be in i was in this band that's still around called the ballroom thieves and like i have old old demos of martins that will never be out of my memory too where i'm just like some of the first songs that he wrote then like i could sing them (laughs) because it's like i remember um and i love that i don't know there's something there's something so personal to that um that's what we come for right that's why we Mm -hmm. go to a show it's why we want to listen to music is we want that connection with that person and something mm-hmm. about like the genuine spirit in which they were writing things mm-hmm. like they they a lot of songwriters don't like their own work they especially don't like their past work and it's like an annoying fact about bands and songwriters that, that some of their best things that really connected with people 
the audience will be asking for it mm -hmm. and then the, the band won't play it or the the songwriter won't play it and i'm just like oh you have to get over yourself because um that i mean that never happened in ballroom thieves but it happened in other other situations i've seen it go down and and oh, yeah. i've just been like you can't just get rid of your old songs so we have kind of like a rule within baba sonia that we're not allowed to delete anything we've made mm. Ooh, and wow. yeah that's it's it's hard once we've put it out on the um like we use distro kid to get things out onto spotify and mm -hmm. apple music and everything and it's like once it's there it's it's got to be there which is hard because we didn't know what we were and we're evolving and mm -hmm. and he was singing at the beginning and then um he doesn't want to play shows or be part of the live thing so it's like okay so you're part of like the creative team and you're part of writing mm -hmm um but then like so it's it's like how are we presenting ourselves and are we presenting ourselves as like it's these two people get attached to their personalities or, or mm -hmm. are we just like like the marketing thing that i've never <laughs> known how to do but yeah. i think it's okay to let yourself be whatever you were at the time and that takes a lot of you know internal fortitude oh yeah i mean I, and i think that there's a there's a level of, I mean, I guess like humility in all of it and just like ex general acceptance of being vulnerable that like, you know, I mean, even in just sort of like we were talking about earlier about like friendships and relationships and stuff, that's like you change and, you know, there are some things that are, uh, I guess, more longer staying or more things that are like core to people, you know, core to people's personalities. And I feel the same way about like, any sort of creative endeavor because if it's if it's things that people are putting themselves into then aspects of themselves like the sort of core aspects of themselves will show up there too but you know like like you said you know it's like you didn't know y'all didn't know what you were at first so like the music that y'all were playing it's like there is a like if i were to hear encounter one of your songs in the wild i think that for sure i would know that it was bob Sonia. but it's like there's a pretty there's a range of like what y'all used to sound like to what you sound like now and like things that you're trying out and things that you're different it's like you know you just you you're yeah different, you're different people and like and you know like with the goth rock thing whenever i'm like oh something is too far and like we haven't done that before i we also kind of have a, an unspoken or maybe it's spoken that like that's not we're not allowed to do that to ourselves either yeah. like it, we we i think we cater sometimes to people's like musical add and they just they want something and then they want a different thing and yeah. so one thing's going to sound like an acoustic singer songwriter set and something else is going to be more electronic and something else is going to be more like a rock band and that's what i want that's what mike wants we're just here to like please ourselves yeah. like, <laughs> that to me is like the, i think the hallmark of like a fantastic band that there is an essence that they have that regardless of whatever it is that they're doing like if it's if it's an electronic thing or which like I know that there are issues with Smashing Pumpkins and just sort of like the members in the band, but the fact that they like they had a pretty huge range of of tones and sounds and music that they were playing, but like mm -hmm. they all it always sounded like the Smashing Pumpkins. Like you could you could hear those songs, and be like okay, yeah, I know who this is, but you know it's the weird electronic album that they did because the drummer got kicked out of the band because of like his I think his drug problems and stuff. And but yeah, I, classic, I, yeah. classic rock and roll story. Yeah. But yeah, but there is like there is something I think to be said about like preserving those things and to to be to have enough space and enough like vulnerability or just acceptance to be like, 
you know, like this is who we were at that. I guess not like we were talking about, you know, it's like, but that using that, like making a song or, or writing a poem, if you're, if you're trying to process some sort of emotional experience, like that's what you were going through at the time. And to create these things is to do, I feel like in a way, like you're honoring that experience by putting it somewhere special to you so that you can have it outside of yourself so that you can move on to do other stuff and like experience other things, but you still, it's like, it still exists and it's still there and you can return to it whatever you want it, you want to, but like, yeah, I mean, know. it's just the fact that like, I really like early work of certain other musicians. Like I pretty much exclusively like the first recording that came out from Jason Mraz and it's like, please, please don't delete this. Cause it's the only one I like, yeah. you know? And so yeah. there's a chance that like that album, the, the first thing or the second thing that came out means something to somebody. And I don't want to take that away from them. Yeah. yeah uh, there's a, um, there's a band called Asian Kung Fu generation that I've been listening to for years, but like they've been around, I think they had their like 20th anniversary not too long ago, but it's the same four guys that have been in the band for the entirety of the band's existence. And there are some albums that they've released that like, I'm not the biggest fan of, which is fine mm. because they, they have like 13 or 14 albums. And like, <laughs> I love like seven or eight of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, That's a pretty good percentage. <laughs> but yeah, you know, It's like, it's, it's just that there, you know, there's some that are like slower. There's some that are more like, I don't know, like, not necessarily like easy listening, easy listening, but like they don't, they don't go as hard in them, which is, you know, it's like, it's fine. And there are definitely times yeah. it's like, you know, lazy summer afternoons. I definitely want to vibe with like one particular album, but yeah, I told you, you know, Tori Amos doesn't hit all the buttons for me, but there's songs like precious things where I'm just like, this is insane. How did you think of this? This is the perfect song. Somehow it's like emotional and vulnerable, but it's also rock and roll. Like you cracked the code. Yeah. And that's something that, like, I've being around musicians a bit and thinking about, like, just hearing how they describe, you know, like the work that they're doing, and especially if they have, like, a following, that there is an, you know, there's definitely a, like, an ownership. And I feel like this is the, the, the weird or the sort of potentially negative side of, like, any, anything that is emotionally impactful, that when people encounter it, or, like, an audience encounters it, I feel like there is a almost instinctively, or instinctive like grasping of that thing and trying to have some sort of ownership of it because it feels like, you know, you're emotionally, you're connecting to it. And because it's like, it, it hits real, real deep. There's like a, you want to close yourself around it. So when, you know, like a band will release an album that, you know, is super, super impactful for a lot of people. And then they go on to do something different. There is like the knee jerk reaction of like, well, I don't like this new thing. Mm -hmm like you've sold out or it's like you moving in a direction that sucks. So it's like, I want more of this other thing. And it's like, well, like you have to have enough space for the people in the band to do whatever they want to do. And it's not like they didn't release that album. Like you have that album. You can, yeah. you have that thing. And it's like, yeah, it sucks that you might not get more of that one thing, but like, at least you have that thing or like, Hey, if this is a type of music that you really fucking love, like learn how to play and produce, like if that's the type of music that you want more of in the world, it's like go make that music and put it yeah. into the world, you know? But yeah, there's like, I don't know there's a weird, it's a challenge for bands too. Yeah. I feel like oh, yeah. there's definitely a space for bands to acknowledge that an album of theirs 
was meaningful as an album to people and then maybe like organize a tour where you play that album top yeah. to bottom yeah but you also don't have to live in that space and you don't have to give people what you gave them last time so it's almost like a balance between those things where it's like if if we had something that meant a lot to people we would play it for them if there was like a, a demand for something but also i guess that the fact we we always joke about how the record company is breathing down our necks because we don't have a record company and we have barely any <laughs> anything resembling a following because so we we have a, the privilege of never having really uh we we don't have to deal with the pressure and yeah. i'm sure when the pressure is is high i'm sure that's a, a real yeah, problem yeah and I, I think that like for like two points one sort of like the issue that we've been i guess like circling around a little bit that like if you if you are a creative musician and you make your living by being that creative musician then like you are subject to doing what you can to make sure that you can like sustain whatever level of like living that you have by being that creative musician so i definitely think you know it's like there's a um there's a podcast that i listen to called uh, no dogs in space that is a music history podcast like the first season was uh they highlighted i think like seven or eight yeah, maybe like five or six like punk bands and basically did a, like a rundown of the history of punk by highlighting, like doing four or five episodes of these different various punk bands and just listening to like story after story after story of like they, you know, like they tried to get, they tried to break big. They did, they got a record deal. You know, they, they now have to do like three or four albums for this record company and they get in advance and if their record doesn't sell they have to pay mm. that yeah I, and like you know just the shit that they have to do to make sure that like they're up with like a sound or that they're they're giving what yeah. the audience whatever it is that they want i've um, heard record company like record deals described to me as like analogous to student loans mm -hmm. yeah same thing with like writer deals too like i didn't realize that uh like advances that the money that you get from a publishing house or a record deal is not just money that they give you. It's basically like, it's an understanding that we're gonna give you this money because we're taking a risk or we're, we're replacing a bet that the thing that you produce will make this money back and then yeah. so, um A lot of things in life are calculated bets that we place. And as I told you earlier, we, we haven't been very good at picking out which song in, in a, <laughs> an EP is the single. If we put a bunch of money behind Jeremiah being the single in Nadila, that EP, and the single was absolutely 100% the, the song Silent. And I'm just like, how did I not say that? There's no, <laughs> there's no repetition in Jeremiah. There's so much repetition in Silent. People love it. So yeah. for some people that, that do listen and like our songs, that's usually in the like, top two. Um, I'm like, maybe when you're too close to it, like maybe that's ideally if you have a good record label in your hands yeah. they are good at that yeah, and they, like they give you that distance that sort of objective distance to be like yeah you know, because there are people that like yeah. that do marketing for a living um, yeah like please look at my album and you tell me right. <laughs> well, and, like, the, the other point that i want to make when you were saying that you like if there is an album like a band if they have an album they put out that is a soup that they recognize as super impactful for people to just like organize a tour to play that album um i caught uh, I don't know if he did this intentionally or if this is just the way that he was always going to do his um, his his tour, but I caught uh, Sufjan Stevens a handful of years ago in Baltimore uh, touring in support of Carrie and Wall, 
like the album that he released uh i don't know however many like four years ago or so and like he played the concert like his show was the album in its entirety it wasn't he it wasn't like the same track listing as the uh actually maybe it was i don't know I think that there were a couple of songs that were moved around from the album track listing, but he basically played the album front to back. And then he went off stage and came back for an encore and played another like half an hour worth of music of just, you know, like the hits and just shit that people wanted to hear. I love a really long encore. Uh, He he capped it off with a cover of uh, Drake's Hotline Bling, which was (laughs) the only way that I want to listen to that song. But it was like, it was amazing to to be like, because he had like these these weird like elongated uh like diamond shaped projector things Mm -hmm. behind him so there was like there was a light show involved there was like 10 people on stage doing all this like walls of sound music and shit it was like a huge fucking spectacle and it was amazing to be able to sit through like because that album specifically for me is super super impactful so it was amazing to it was in the um it wasn't the Meyerhoff I think it was in the lyric um no actually I think it wasn't the Meyerhoff so it was like it was just, I didn't know they had shows like that at the Meyerhoff. I think it was the Meyerhoff. I think yeah. I saw Ani DeFranco at the Lyric though. Nice. In I, high I school. It was Such one, good. it was one of the two, but I definitely remember it's like there was no standing room. It was just seating. So be able to, and I was up in like the mezzanine. So be able to just like sit and lean on like the the banister and just like be immersed in this music for like 45 minutes and then for him to come back and do another like half an hour worth of music from just like all of his old albums Mm. you know like what a dream it was amazing and i'm like this is the type of show that i want to i want to be at and then you know like i I saw i caught pelican uh, at the auto bar like a year or two later and that was just like a totally different style of show but it was just like to be like, the auto bar and the meyerhoff (laughs) to be like to be like 20 feet from guys that i've been like following for the past, I don't know, like 15 years and like loving their music and finally getting a chance to see them perform. And that, that be like in that space with like, I don't know, like 50 other people, maybe like 60 other people that were like as diehard of a fan of that music as I was, was just like, it was. It's so weird the way music works because you make something and you're never going to get any money for it. And so because of that, in a way, because you don't really have, detailed information on who's listening and where are they listening and how often are they listening and i guess it would be creepy to try to collect that information but (laughs) as a musician like as as a musician you want it and i think it was even less possible before it's just like album sales Mm -hmm. somebody could have bought the album and thrown it straight in the trash somebody Mm -hmm. else could have bought the album and lovingly listened to it every day uh of their lives and so i'm just like you know there's a french singer songwriter named Camille like Camille with a French accent uh and I went so deep into her albums and like she doesn't realize how obsessed I was with her for (laughs) years and years and years and then I saw her at Le Poisson Rouge which is a venue in um the village here in New York and um it is really weird to see someone in person where you're just like, you have no idea mm-hmm. how hard I went for your music. Yeah. Like I was all up in those songs <laughs> and it was like in my psyche. And and then I don't know, I uh, as a musician who puts out music, 
I don't know, I can't know, I'll never know. Did somebody listen to it? Like, did it have a huge effect on them? Does somebody like wish I was playing more shows? Does, are there a couple people who wish I was playing shows in this one area? And like, musicians have different ways of trying to collect that data, but especially on a smaller level, it's like, you don't really, you just don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, that's such a, like, I mean, weirdly enough, like there was a, oh God, like I go through, like there are some bands that I have sort of like as my ride or die bands that it, I, I'm still rocking an iPod that are like, they, they never leave my iPod. They're consistently on there for all time. And other bands that sort of like cycle through that I'll be like really, really interested or it's like I need to listen to them every single day for like a month just because it's like I'm going through something and they're hitting all the right things. But like for like Baba yeah. Sony was very much like that for like when I first encountered y'all for probably like two and a half months, that was like y'all were on the iPad wow. at least uh, like at least a song or two per day listening to wow. it just because there was like something like, you know, and then it was like, because it, it was. What were your songs? What, what was, oh. was anything specific or were you just like letting it roll? Um, I, at first it was just letting it roll, but I sort of crystallized around a couple of them. Uh, let me pull up my, uh, my iTunes. I have very specific uses for very specific albums in my life too. Like same. very much same. Uh, I, I sometimes I have such bad stress and anxiety that I literally think I'm going to pass out. And when that's like a, a safety issue, like if I'm on the subway and I'm like, I think I might pass out from stress, I can reliably listen to Ben Howard's Every Kingdom album <laughs> and it will keep me on this side of, of the brink and no other albums have been able to pull that off. And so for some reason, I'm just like, this is my like in case of emergency break glass. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, yeah, I definitely I have albums like I weirdly enough, I've sort of my albums have sort of crystallizing or sort of like polarizing as seasonal. Like there are certain bands that I will only listen to in the summer, like uh, Silverstone Pickups is for sure like a late spring, early summer band. Um, Daughters is like re like late fall into winter as like everything's getting dark just all the time. Um there are bands that I listen to, like I, I rock climb a couple of times a week. And if I'm ever, if I'm ever there by myself, I will usually throw on uh toe. It's a Japanese instrumental, like math rock jazz band. Ooh, that are, sounds fun. I got to check that they out. They are fantastic. I caught them in DC. Um, fuck. However many years ago, but it was like, it was one of the coolest shows I've ever been to. They're such, they're such good musicians. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm a, that's also the band I want to be in is the ones that are like experimental and weird but very good and like when they have a following but their following is like is crazy about them that's not the band that we have necessarily with Bob Sonia, but we could always put out a weird album <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but so like I will put on them um if I'm on like late night drives it's usually like ASAP Rock on Shuffle um just because it's like most of his music feels like it's night James music. Blake late night drives yeah yeah um, and i had bandmates i was driving around with who were like are, how are you not sleeping to this music and i was like <laughs> i don't know for some reason it just got me into like this is what we're doing yeah. i'm in a spaceship we're going all yeah, night there are, um if i have to do like editing work or something and i need just something in the background i usually rely like i lean on uh pat metheny's a way out is usually on rotation there's um maria schreider schneider um, maria schneider yes uh, her, um, oh fuck, what's the name of it? The, I think it's a recent album. Uh, I have to go through my jazz, uh, playlist. The, um, 
uh, where is it? Um, the the Thompson Fields is usually on like in the rotation. Um, there's a band called uh, Unwed Sailor that's like instrumental. I guess like mathy rock stuff that's usually like just their their first like couple of albums are really good to have on in the background to just like vibe to and um, hang out with. But speaking of that, the two songs that I've sort of like crystallized for me um, for Baba Sonia are Enough and Amsterdam. Those are usually the two that like, if, oh. I, if I need to like, if I'm like, if I need to feel something, I'll put on one of those two songs and it usually Deep cuts. To, like, get me, get the <laughs> feelings out. Um, I for me those qualify as deep cuts. I said that those are not the top two that I hear. Yeah, but I like they're um, usually it's like if I'm on the verge of like needing a cry and I just need that extra little like poke to get yeah. myself and to just kind of get like not not like a big weep but just like a couple of tears out. Mm. It's usually enough for Amsterdam. Um, yeah, because there's the I, um, the one I think it's an enough like the one part where it's like the the um like the production like cuts out and it sounds like you're really really far away um, mm. like yeah that, near the end yeah yeah like that, that part i also always... do that off mic live like uh, i'll pull away from the microphone and just like scream into the bar that i'm in <laughs> it, 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 like, that that like amsterdam just as like the song structure and like the story being told usually hits me but like that one specific part and enough always like it's like being punched in the gut it's like oh fuck oh thank get, you like, a couple of tears out i'm like okay i'm good i can go on to doing whatever else i need, <laughs> I need to do um, yeah but, no that's awesome do you uh, do you want to hear anything about like how those were written i mean again as i said earlier like what i love about writing is that it doesn't really matter how they were written it can be interesting but <laughs> yeah, like yeah. It, it it means hopefully it's whatever is in the song is readily apparent and that's like how songs are supposed to work yeah um, i mean yeah if, you, if you'd like to talk about either of them I, i'm i'm curious about it who gives a shit about my audience i want to hear about it <laughs> no, yeah amsterdam is about um well i was in amsterdam for nine months uh as like a grad school thing that um i didn't finish it i didn't do two years uh i stayed for the better part of one year and i was doing something that was pretty unilaterally impressive to the people around me i had gone to music school and so i was kind of like peeking in terms of like <laughs> what people thought of me mm -hmm. but that had to be juxtaposed against being 19 or 20 uh at the time and being i kind of went through like a mental health episode from being isolated mm -hmm. and so it was weird to feel like i had everything and everybody else thought that i had everything and that everything was going really well and that i was so successful and that i you must be having so much fun you know like just being there has to be fun it has to be perfect it has to be amazing it has to be this adventure and it was but the thing about things that go on for longer than a few months and they um I was having a lot of trouble making connections with people or really gathering any friends that would 
spend any time with me. So the amount of isolation mm-hmm. that I was in really started to destroy my brain. <laughs> so yeah. I felt very embarrassed by having to leave. And it was the summer after I left. I left in the spring and I, I the summer after that, I, I put that song together. Um, and then for enough, I had started going to a 12-step program and there's a set of affirmations that were on a piece of paper that would get passed around the room. Um, And I was really interested in how many people were choosing. You can just look at the page and choose any any one that kind of like Mm -hmm. stands out to you. And a lot of people were choosing the one that said, I am enough. I was like, (laughs) yeah. I was like, oh, people don't know that they're enough. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if I know that I'm enough. And I'm definitely seeing that a lot of other people are also having this issue. And then I was just like thinking about that. Um, I wanted to kind of follow the structure of Tori Amos's Precious Things, actually. It's funny I mentioned that earlier. Oh, interesting. Uh, because she, in that song, presents the listener with a few little um, stories from moments in her life. Like she's like bringing you back to a moment when she was a child and something happened. She was like, uh, then there was like some bullying. She pulls you into like a story where there was bullying. She pulled, she's like, she's kind of just like revisiting some things from her life. Um, and so I, I liked that structure and I wanted to do something like that. So um, I was at the time just reflecting on a long relationship that I had had that had just fallen apart in the previous year. And so I was just like, there was just like a couple moments that were standing out to me and that were kind of like showing me, oh, like I have something I need to take care of like mm-hmm. mental health wise. And um, that was like in the beginning, I, I, I mentioned having something in common with a friend of mine or not, not a friend of mine, my cousin. And we got along so well, we're on the same wavelength for that exact period of time. And we're not like super close anymore, but we were when we like both were kind of like, mm-hmm on fire inside (laughs) and it's like something about how water seeks its own level that i was like oh like maybe i have a touch of the ptsd (laughs) and like i you know i I don't know what it is but like there's a reason that i was drawn to that person and um and then just uh i guess i i just jump around in enough to a few different moments that are not related to each other and it's just me kind of thinking like what's happening to me what what was happening to me and how do I fit all of these things together Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that like that that's one of the really neat things about like I don't know like art poetry music whatever that you can like the the montage is a really interesting way to organize vignettes or images or whatever because like even if they're not necessarily related, like the structure and how you organize them and like what you're doing, like what context you're putting them in forces some sort of relationship between them. 
And yeah. it was really interesting because that was like the, um, like the initial, I think there was, I, I don't know the name of this experiment, not like experiment, experiment, but just sort of like a, I, like something that people did. They did, um, when like montage was first coming out, they would put like a, um, they had like a, like a person's face and they would put like, they would show the person's face and then show like a bowl of soup or show like a, I don't know, like a, a horse buggy, like driving, like riding away from somewhere and then the person's face. And the people watching these things would come up with their own interpretations of like, and it's the person's, it was a blank face. It wasn't making any, you know, they weren't making any sort of face. It was just some, like somebody blankly had looked in the camera and somebody had taken a picture and people would put in, it's like, oh, when they saw that in conjunction with the bowl of soup, it's like, oh, that person's obviously hungry, despite the fact that their facial expression hasn't changed. Or like, oh, if they see like a horse buggy being, you know, gone away, it's like, oh, they're being forlorn. Or like, oh, they're yearning to go, you know, it's like, it's just weird that like the, how well humans yeah. are at assigning and generating meaning to things that are not that don't have any necessarily necessarily well, like inherent meaning, any meaning. Well, you know how like certain poems, like this brings me back to E.E. E. Cummings, like seems really all over the place mm -hmm. and can read as like chaotic. And especially as a teenager, I really had no understanding of what I was reading. And mm -hmm. I would be like, this is almost impossible to read. Like all this is is just a bunch of parentheticals, like just spat across the page. <laughs> but um, the interesting thing about that is, I think as I as I like let it sink in, and as I got older, and as I realized what something must be about, um, beep beep beep. <laughs> um, like, am I allowed to read like just a little tiny bit of yeah, something? Or okay, yeah, like so. There's like a poem that's that starts a clown smirk in the skull of a baboon where once good lips stalked or eyes firmly stirred my mirror gives me on this afternoon i am a shape that can but eat interred air with the dirt death shall him vastly gird a coward waiting clumsily to cease whom every perfect thing meanwhile doth miss a hand's impression in an empty glove a soon forgotten tune a house for lease i have never loved you dear as now i love didn't make any sense to me there's a whole poem where that came from, but it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, we're just jumping around. Mm -hmm. Like, we're just like, why is there a baboon? Like, why is there a glove? And I now understand that that's a poem about grief. Mm. And I had never really been gutted by grief at the period of time that I first mm. came into contact with this poem. Mm -hmm. But there's something about the way that grief completely makes you feel like, that first line is a clown smirk in the skull of a baboon. I think that's how I feel about like living and being inside of a body when I'm like going through grief. I'm just like, yeah. I'm this like weird sentient ghost inside of a meat puppet. And like, you know, just like you, you start to think of your body in, in ways that are like, um, you're upset and you're dealing with mortality. So there's, the, the idea of like in a hand's impression in an empty glove uh i am a shape that can but eat interred like it, it i was just like what there's nothing happening here and it doesn't make any sense to me and um and it makes sense to me now yeah um but sometimes i guess yeah it's like a bit different than what you were saying but like you can now that i'm looking back at what i wrote within the song of 
enough i'm like yeah why would those things go together like i have this moment I have this like moment where like I was breaking up with someone they said something really sad to me and I have this moment where like I was getting along with my cousin when we were both like in a traumatized headspace (laughs) and then I have this moment where like my teacher was nice to me and like wanted me to come look at goats walking (laughs) down a field like I'm like why why how did I string these together and like I, I think that it works and you think that it works oh definitely um I always like it when that's someone's favorite. Like uh, my um, my fiance's mom also liked that song, and I always thought that was like a, a vote in her favor. Cause I was like, <laughs> yes, because I was like, it is good, right? Because yeah. like not everyone not everyone focuses on that one, but uh, yeah, I guess yeah. it's like it's it's a like the it to me it feels like it's the. It's like calling to those wide open spaces that exist in you that are manifestations or like that that show up either because of just they're there naturally. Um, I have some thoughts of like natural spaces inside of people or, you know, it's like if you've been gutted or eviscerated by grief and it's like, you know, you have the like you have the moment of like a grief happening and then you have a moment of like a commiseration of that grief with someone and then you have a moment of like the sort of like not a overt like healing of that grief but like a a, a, like an invitation to like step out of it or like to let that space be there but to still like to still experience the things that are happening like around that grief which to me is like that's like the the movement for me is like that 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 like the almost like not necessarily like you're going through this like stages of, of grief, but you know, it's like you're kind of going through this, this like arc of like dealing with it and acknowledging it. And, and like, it's like literally how grief works too. Yeah. Is that like, you have to live your life and you have to pay your bills and you have to talk to people. And meanwhile, some, some part, uh, like I might feel like I'm functioning at varying capacities. And I think that's just, so it's, it is like juxtaposition and some kinds of, it might feel like nonsensical, but it also might be exactly what the experience is. Like, I think that that's, that's one of the the major benefits of like poetry and music to like lyrics to that extent that like, if you're writing poetry about emotional experiences, the poems themselves don't necessarily have to be linear. Like with prose, most prose is you is fairly linear. Like if you, there are you know like some non-linear things and th- like bits of stories that are happening at the same time, but they're told not, um, like they're told consecutively. To, you know whatever. But you know like poetry can be like the the point of poetry is to not tell a story. It's to share an experience and like the language and the structure and the format that you use to convey an experience is way, way, way different than to tell a story because you're not, a, it's like the story, the plot's not important. The thing that's important is like the emotion that happens through mm-hmm. that experience. Um, and it's like, especially with like the deeper emotions or if you like, if you have experienced a thing that you're trying to like heal from or just like deal with, it's not like that progression is not linear at all you know it's like it you can be 
like feeling great one day and you have like not a relapse but it's like you're down in the doldrums the next day and then the next day you're just like i'm just there's just static on the inside because i've shorted myself out and then like later on it's like oh hey okay i can talk to people now i can go shopping i can do things because i exist in in a corporeal sense again and then the next day i'm like nah i'm just gonna be in bed yeah just in bed you know just not even watching nothing it's just i'm in like i exist as a body in bed um but yeah, it's like that's that's a really I think it's it's interesting to me as like especially with that poem too. You know, it's like I don't know how how cognizant E.E. E. Cummings was and like how finely tuned and like how fine of a hand he had in crafting that. But like even the like the image of a clown's smirk in the skull of a baboon, like to your point of feeling, you know, it's like you there's this disconnection between what you're feeling and how you feel in existence. Like that language mirrors that that it's like a really distorted image and like present it like like the the language being used to describe this thing is also like weird and sort of uncomfortable and like that fully mimics the like the feeling of the uncomfort you know it's like there's this like levels and levels of stuff um that you can use that, that like language can be utilized in a way that like you can convey those things not only with the words that you use but also with the like the the non-tangible meanings that they have and the connotations and also like if you put one word in front of another word and it feels weird and like i don't like the fact that that adjective is not where it's supposed to be in this sentence but that's the point of that like that phrase is to make you like that line is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable and you do that and it like the line embodies the feeling it's like that's awesome that is one of the coolest fucking things that you can do and like, <laughs> that, that those weird like like emotional manipulations that you can get make people experience on the like subconscious level to heighten whatever it is like whatever the 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 overarching result of the experience that you want have to someone have when they're reading your work it's like there's all these little things that you can do and like poke them and needle them and like dial them in and most of the time they don't even know that's what's happening but they experience it and they're like oh that makes me really uncomfortable it's like oh yeah that's the point to make you really uncomfortable with that thing and it's like if it did it effectively and evocatively then like you did you did your art you're you're you did good art yeah and it's not necessarily the things that make me comfortable I might have hit the mic there it's not necessarily the things that make me comfortable that i hang on to and that i remember in fact it's often the things that are like kind of uncomfortable but i'm like I'm like, oh shit, they're onto something. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, however problematic T.S. Eliot may or may not be, there's like a moment in Portrait of a Lady where there's the there's this idea, there's, there's a quote, it's like, youth is cruel and has no remorse and smiles at situations which it cannot see. <laughs> I smile, and then it goes, I smile, of course, and go on drinking tea. And it's something that like comes back to me so often when I think about like how it's impossible for us to know ourselves and we're going to like make all of these stupid mistakes because we just, we can't understand what yeah. we're in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. smiles at situations that it cannot see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's, that's the thing that like i think like to your point of, of things that are uncomfortable like i i utilize music like i i experience music in an emotional way like that is my primary way of connecting with music is emotionally like i don't if i'm listening to songs and stuff i i very rarely see images 
I don't really see colors if I close my eyes. It's just like it is a purely emotional experience. Um, and a lot of the times, like, I mean, maybe not a lot of times, but I would say that the vast majority of the music that I have on my iTunes, I have like, I think close to 60 days worth of music on my iTunes. So that's that's a lot of songs. Um, yeah. But the vast majority of them, I would say, are songs that are like not particularly happy. Um, yeah. And I think that like it's, I utilize a lot, like I seek out music, especially when I need to like feel deeply. It's like if it's a thing that I'm trying to feel, but there's something in me that's preventing me from getting over that hump yeah. into that space. It's like I will, you know, like listening to Amsterdam or enough, you know, it's like I will put on a song that is a like it's almost like a pressure differential. It's like that is the space or like a heat differential. It's like that's the space that the, my emotions want to be. And because it's a, it's like an external thing, it's like they can rush out of me and occupy the space. And like I can I can feel them. I can analyze them. I can acknowledge them. I can look at them. But they're like out. It's like almost like the, the experience of writing a poem or a song. It's like you you can put them in a place that honors them. But they're out of you. Like you have felt them. Mm -hmm. You've processed. I mean, not fully processed, but you have experienced them and they're someplace else. And that clears Yeah, up. it's like it doesn't get lost, and now I can come back and visit it mm -hmm. as often as I want to. That's mm -hmm. like sort of the urgency in writing for me is I'm like, sometimes if I just feel like I'm in a very particular space and I want to hang on to that, mm -hmm. then writing will come out of that. Yep. And then it, what I like about it is we lose so many other things we can't remember them it's just how memory works like yep. we, we don't know what we did last week we don't know exactly what we said to somebody but if i wrote something down and it's a poem it's a song i can come back to it i know exactly what i said yes or or to the like even at the very like a basic level of that it's like if you if there's an experience that you that you want to save and i think that this is you know like Poetry doesn't necessarily have to be like factually true, but it's more often than not emotionally true. Because right. the poems that I write, you know, it's like it's like the things that I I try to do my best to the things that I write in my poetry are things that like actually happen to me. But there are a lot of like internal thoughts that I have that I put into my poems that like I didn't think of at the time that I experienced this, but I'm thinking about now and reflection upon that. But like at the time. I did have this emotion and it's only in after I've got a little bit of space. So it's like, oh, okay, I can analyze this and I can actually like figure out what this emotion is and give language to, you know, like the, this is the thing that was happening then. Um, so yeah, it's like at the very basic level, you might not even be able to necessarily remember like this is exactly what I thought or exactly what I said, but like this is at the core of the experience that I had at the very least. And like, that is a thing that you can return to, of, you know, like at least for me, it's like, that's, that's a more important thing of like having the, the emotionality of it captured and put someplace that is safe, that exists as its thing that you can go and return to when you need to experience it, but is not a thing that's like occupying the most of your attention and your emotional energy at, you know, any more given time than, when you're back out in front of it yeah yeah no i think that's valid i think that like we don't necessarily experience things linear linearly mm -hmm. and so maybe something was something you were thinking at another point in time but you put it in the same work as something else because it fits yeah. because you know that it fits yeah and it's like and, it's not yeah, yeah it's not like 
factually accurate necessarily but like emotionally it's like that's it's like that is or it's like a lot of times like i've gotten to there's like a formula i've i've sort of stumbled into with writing my poetry that's like i usually provide some like some like images of stuff and then a sort of like contemplative thought or question and usually those questions like they're not necessarily happening at the time of the experience that i'm writing about but like they fit for whatever this experience you know it's like if i'm if the poem is becoming this like bigger thing and sort of addressing these different things there's like maybe this question is like this is the voice of whatever feeling that i had that at the time it's like was sitting in my like in the pit of my chest but it's like i didn't i didn't have i just felt it i didn't have words for it and then now it's like okay i can make this question or pose this like make this phrase or pose this question or whatever and it's like that is the written equivalent it's like if you think about that that's what i was that's what i felt at that point in time um, yeah, it it's too much to ask for for us to be self aware and self reflective, like too close to an yeah. event as well. I think that the best writing about something comes some degree of time afterwards, usually. Yeah. No, it's fair. I think it's it's fair to look back and and reincorporate things in that way and. You know, as I was saying uh, a while ago, that like <laughs> during the pandemic, I I didn't have some like hugely creative period. I didn't I didn't find a way to reframe the whole thing as like a net positive. Mm -hmm. I I didn't like write three albums like <laughs> Taylor Swift. I but there's a chance that a lot of the experiences are brewing yep. inside. Yeah, it, and, just, it takes longer for that stuff to process internally. Well, one of the things about like, yeah, like traumatic experiences as well is that like we don't know what's happening yeah. until we're sure that it's over. Mm -hmm. And then you can get um, reflection in the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like I, I remember um, I'm, I'm old enough to remember September 11th. And uh, I remember the first question on everyone's minds was, is it still happening or is it over? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that happened for a good long time in a different way during the pandemic where we were like, especially in New York City, we were like, is it still happening or is it over? Can we call it over? Can we act like it's over? Mm -hmm. And then it wouldn't be over. Uh, so, you know, something different than an attack, which we were like, okay, I guess, I guess that that was that and there wasn't a second part to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in a lot of ways, we don't know what we're in until right. much later mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we say oh i guess i was in that thing you know mm -hmm. yep um okay so i think that we're getting to the end of the podcast uh so i'm going to ask you my traditional two questions my last two questions that i ask all of my guests um the first one is if you have the vocabulary to describe it what is your internal landscape like internal landscape yes so i i have come to define it as like if you close your eyes and try to like envision the sort of like centering place for yourself what would that place be it doesn't necessarily have to be like physical place like mine is a discern like a decidedly physical place but i've had other people that are you know like, like you can label the place like you know where it is or I mean, like I, like i don't think that it's an actual like physical place that exists on earth but it's like it's a prairie it's like it's just vast open <laughs> okay. landscape but you know i've had like one of my other guests this is my one of my favorite responses for her it was a swirling mass of like red and purple frosting 
Like that's what she <laughs> felt her, like internal landscape. And I was like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I mean, it's also like, I guess it's like very, very basic levels, or I guess like the, the broadest possible sense of like, if you close your eyes and just sort of like picture what would be at like the center of you, what, what is that? Or what would that be? Like water, I guess, mm. like being when you're right at the edge of like a, a large body of water is reminding me of like exercises I've done in therapy, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in a good way, as I discovered at some point that like the most comfortable space for me to picture myself is on a beach but not on a beach where there's lots of other people around, mm. not in like the sun, just mm -hmm. like, uh, but like somewhere where you, you can, you can hear the water and there's like a, for me that that's a very grounded mm. zone. It's like a, yeah. Mm. I like that. I, I, I'm a, I've discovered in my life that I definitely need to be living next, like in fairly close proximity to a body of water. Like I grew up, um, my parents lived like like seven minute bike ride away from the river, like the Mississippi river levee. So I was like, that is a huge, huge component of my childhood. Um, and living in Baltimore, you know, it's like the Bay yeah. it's like right there. Yeah. I grew up um, with the Chesapeake Bay right there. Yeah. I don't think I could ever be landlocked. No. And like, you know, there's like, there's Lake Montebello, there's Lake Roland that's kind of like just around um, yeah, but there's something about, it's like related, but different, but there's something being around like a large body of water and something being around like a moving body of water. That's like, feels necessary. I don't know. It's like, it's not cleansing. Maybe it's just like clarifying. About might it. be cleansing. I mean, yeah, might, maybe. maybe I think that there's something that happens to like our the magnetism inside of our body systems when we're close to like a very large body of water. Yeah, it would be, it would be amazingly weird for me to be somewhere and not see just like seagulls hanging out in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Like that was always like my, like a highlight of my childhood was like being in the car with my dad and going to like home Depot after the, like after it rained and there's just like, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and there's nobody around, the parking lot is wide open. There's just like hundreds of seagulls just dotting the parking lot and just like driving really, really slow, but kind of going through them. So they all fly away. Um, yeah. But I just, I couldn't like being in like, I don't know, like Kansas. Like I, I did a residency in Nebraska, a two week residency a handful of years ago. And there was like no seagulls. And I was like, this is this is weird. I don't even particularly like seagulls, but just not seeing them is like making me really uncomfortable. Um, okay. Interesting. Um, and my last question is, do you have a question for me? Oh, I want to know more about your music hmm, okay. and if there's anywhere that I can listen to that. Yes. Um, so it's, kind of eclectic uh it is really kind of broken down into two main things i do um are you familiar with the computer program reason i've heard of it okay so it is a it's basically like a, a 
synth like a music synthesizer program but the gimmick of reason is that it's a bunch of like real life rack like pieces of rack equipment that you have digital versions of that you can utilize it's like sequencers or um, like drum machines drum pads stuff like that and basically like create a digital rack of all this shit that you can put in there um so i do like i guess it's electronic music maybe it's digital maybe digital music is a better ver or better term for that um so i will do i do songs in reason and then i also play um like acoustic guitar and i have a really tiny like travel sized dulcimer um that i've been i've been playing a lot so it's like moody kind of dark like folk-ish type stuff with the acoustic I'm excited. and then like, i'm excited <laughs> really weird digital electronica stuff um but if you go to uh soundcloud.com slash bird bass b-i-r-d-b-a-s-e uh, nice. You can find. I'll I'll put a for those of you who didn't know that I also did music uh, in the listenership. Um, I can put I'll put a, a link to it in the description. Yeah. And um, where does your poetry live mostly? Um, currently in two books that are available, two chat books that are available on the uh, Akinoga Press website. Um, that is A K I N O G A Press, uh, which I can put a link to in the description. Um, but so it's it's primarily in those two chat books, but I have a ton of poems that just exist on my uh, Google Drive. Um, there is like a manuscript and a half, maybe like two that I have that I'm like one. There's one main one that I've been working on for a handful of years that I keep thinking is not done, but I haven't written any more poems for it. So I think that it's actually done. Um, so I should probably edit it. And then I have a couple of like, there's one, there's one like, there's 12 poems that I wrote in like a uh, collaborative project I did with a friend of mine back in 2018. Um, and since October, I've been trying to write two poems a month and it's like a weird sort of diptych, you know, like seasonal thing. Um, That's cool. I like that. I'm, I've, I've never really been big on submitting individual poems places. I've done like chapbook competitions and stuff like that where it's like full manuscripts um just because it's like it's it takes such a it's like it's so much time and so much energy to like that's how i feel about submitting to spotify playlists yeah so <laughs> like it's a lot of energy i know that i probably should quote unquote do it um but i i feel like now that i have a couple of manuscripts that i've been sitting on that i've actually like submitted to a couple of places um the the weird 12 poem one is out at a press right now or i, I think it's a Maybe a literary magazine. I don't know. I don't know what they are, but I haven't heard back from them yet. Um, but yeah, so it's not a ton of my poetry is out there. I've generated a lot of it since the publication of uh, Possessed by Space, which is the, the second, second chapbook that I, uh, that I wrote. Um, but not a lot of it has found it the light of day. Um, but I mean, if you're interested, I can I can like share some stuff with you. if you. Yeah, I always want to know. I always yeah. want to um, be up to date on it yeah so yeah but for listeners um there's not a ton i might i might do some stuff with it i don't know sometime, <laughs> but, that sounds like a writer to me yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're I, like, like the, the one main the one main manuscript that i've been working on um will hopefully find a home soon i mean the fact that i run a press for my like i run a press and i could very easily just publish all of this shit myself which i might do just to get it out there 
Um, but it is nice to go through the process of like having the outside validation of like, oh no, someone else actually thinks that this is good and worthy of being published and like wanting to work with it instead of me being just like, yeah, I'll just do it. Um, but uh, I think that's probably it. Uh, thank you so much for spending way longer than I thought we were going to spend talking. Um, well, good luck editing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like most of the time I just, I just release, it's just the, that's just, this is just what the episode is because it's like, I don't want to, I don't feel, I don't feel qualified to make decisions on what to cut and what not to cut because it's all interesting to me and I have no idea what's interesting to my audience aside from the fact that they seem to just enjoy, enjoy really long episodes. I've been listening to a lot of Dan Carlin's uh, hardcore history in the like four and five hour episodes. So I'm like, as long as I'm not like over three hours, I think that people, I think I'm good. Um, well, whoever's listening and if you've been driving for a long time, then I hope we got you a good stretch <laughs> of the way. <laughs> this is like, this is like a fourth of the way to Vermont. I think. Yeah, we've we've kept you company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Rachel, thank you so much. This was a, it was an absolute delight to spend. Uh, no, thank you. I, I never I never get an opportunity like this, and and I I love talking about writing, and and you've reminded me that I do care about poetry, and that I do <laughs> I do actually write it, and that a lot of the music that I write like starts from a place of poetry. So that was a, another gift that I got from this. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so uh, friends, that's it. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and as always, I will talk to you all next time. Hi again, friends. This is post episode Michael uh, popping back in to let you know about the announcements that I mentioned in at the very top of the episode. Uh, so as of today, the So Poetry Patreon and So Poetry Instagram pages have officially launched. Um, I'm sure that some of you have encountered the So Poetry podcast uh, Instagram page. I'm trying to follow a bunch of people, and it's a slow process, so I've been doing it in like bite-sized chunks. Um, but if you follow my my main Instagram or the press Instagram, please give please give So Poetry a follow. Uh, you can find it at Instagram.com/SoPoetryPod. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to create a space spe specifically for podcast things, uh, so I'm not piggybacking off of uh, my main Instagram or the press Instagram. I'm sure that I will still do stories about episodes when they when they launch, but um, all things, all of the traffic I'm trying to, to nudge towards the So Poetry Instagram page. Um, and as for the Patreon, which can be found at patreon.com slash sopoetrypod, um, I recognize that there have been a lot of hiatuses and some irregularity with, uh, you know, posting episodes. And I've been thinking a lot about that and a lot about what I want the podcast to be sort of moving forward. Um, and I've determined that in an attempt to keep myself accountable as far as like regularity goes, and also as a space for the episodes that I do just solo, so like the side cast episodes of So Poetry Reviews and uh, So Poetry On, which I'm sure that you've noticed I've not done a ton of content with that recently. Um, I wanted to have a space for those things because they are sometimes poetry adjacent, sometimes poetry non-adjacent. Um, and I definitely want all of my episodes that I have guests to be free and available for everyone, but... Uh, I'm thinking that the solo episodes that I do um, would probably be better served as just bonus content 
um, because I, I don't know. It's just it seems like it's from what I from the views that I've been seeing and tracking and stuff on the on the SoundCloud page. Those episodes are you know maybe not what the target audience wants. But if you do really enjoy them and you like talking, listening to me talk about things that I just kind of find interesting, um, please consider uh, supporting. Uh, in becoming a member of that of the so poetry patreon um i also really i'm i'm hopeful that the money can be set aside for sort of upping the production costs you know like getting some soundproofing and you know finding an actual room in the house that i'm in right now to to record and you know have it sound nice um and also be able to pay some of my guests um because there are some poets that i would like to talk to that have speaking fees and i would like to be able to you know give money to them in support of that and also just my other guests because you know, this is usually upwards of two hours or so um and i would like to be able to you know support people doing that to for giving me their their time um but yeah i the i'm not really sure what the patreon is going to turn into um hopefully you know i'm not really i'm not i don't think that it's going to explode but you know it's if you've been if you've been following the the podcast for a while um and you would like to show your support you know i would encourage you to to become a member um you don't have to it's fine um if you're not in a space that you can do that right now i totally understand there's a lot of podcasts that i would like to support that i just i can't feasibly right now um so you know it's it just means that there's some episodes that you might not get which you know it's probably it's fine i i tend to ramble on about stuff i mean this this uh epilogue is already sort of spiraling out of uh, out of control for me um but yeah so regardless of that i hope to see you on the new uh so poetry instagram page um it's going to take a while to kind of get that up and running just because i you know it's any time that you shift a brand i guess uh, it takes a bit for it to, to gain traction, but yeah. So if you're, if you're looking for so poetry on Instagram, you can find it there. Uh, if you're looking for so poetry, just as support, you can find it on Patreon. Um, and as always, I want to just say thank you so much for, to my listenership and my audience for just being along for the ride. Um, it's still amazing to me that I have an international audience. Uh, it's also equally amazing to me that people care about my views of poetry and the, uh, the people that I talk to and just find this interesting. Um, I hope that it, it is at least entertaining for you and, you know, at the very best insightful and uh, encouraging and heartening to know that there are other people out there making poetry and, you know, doing art and working through all of that entails. Uh, so, um, as always, uh, thank you and I will talk to you all next time.